From Grain to Glass, this show is dedicated to helping you make the best beer possible. So strap in and hold on to your mash tons. We're Homebrew Bound. Welcome to Homebrew Bound. I'm Casey. And I'm Brian. Uh, and we also have Gordon and Jason as well. How's it uh, going? They didn't follow the normal thing, but that's oh, okay. I, well, normally, I mean, you know, I, this is the best beer show on the internet. I, I need explicit instructions at all yeah. times. Yeah, Casey, no, it's, it's, it's not it's not your fault. It's mine. It's yeah. normally you say this is the best beer, beer show on the internet, and then Brian doesn't say anything, and then you say also in studio is... Gordon and Jason. All right, well, now that Gordon's hosting my show. Um, <laughs> wow. What, what sort of show is this going to be, Gordon? I, well, I've only listened to every episode. <laughs> you know, and if this was a show that Brian was doing, we'd restart. But, you know, we're just going to power through. Oh, so. my God. <laughs> well, you're not wrong. <laughs> All right. Um, I like my unedited <laughs> podcasts to be, to be at least slightly good. <laughs> Anyway. Hold on. <laughs> Start over. Anyway, uh, before we get too deep here, I want to give a big shout out to the American Homebrewers Association. They do a lot to support homebrewing and homebrewers, and they support us. During the AHA, we'll give you discounts at homebrew shops and select tap rooms, as well as give you access to the fantastic Zymergy magazine. Click on the referral link above our homepage and join today. Just got my latest Zymergy, and it talks about barrel-aging beers, which is very exciting and, I mean, very hit or miss, depending on what you're trying to do. I also want to give a big shout out to our patrons, specifically our Black Belt patrons, Andy Thompson, Bjorn Bjornsson, Hoppenbrill Brewing, Brian Bryanson, Devin Simpson, and Phil Feldman. I also want to give a shout out to the people in the chat. Um, so if you become a patron, you can uh, hang out in our chat while we're doing the show. Who's and, in the chat? Uh, Andy Higginbottom. <gasps> Hello, Andy. Uh, is currently in the chat. Is UK Andy? UK Andy. Yes. What? Uh, all right. Um, yeah, so we're all in uh, pretty good spirits because it's it's nice. It's so nice outside. Dude, it's like 60 it degrees. I can't even. Um, we've been hanging out in the sun all day. At least Gordon and I have. I don't know what you guys have been doing. I, yeah, I was outside almost the whole day yesterday and for the majority of the times between 8 a.m. and 1. Noon? 1? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just been this fantastic. horrible winter in the upper Midwest <laughs> is finally over. Might be some snow. Yep. You know, but yeah, so we're a little right. all over the place, uh, but you know, it's what you get. And uh, Brian and I also are just coming off of a two week vacation, kind of. So, that too, yeah, well, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. <laughs> <laughs> talk to your boss. Um, <laughs> <laughs> again, I'm getting put on the fucking spot. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, we got we got a good show for you today. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, hydrometer versus refractometer. We're going to be talking about a rebrew of the Every Style Challenge. Uh, but first, Brian, what have you been up to beer related? You know, uh, I drank some be- <laughs> some Bell's too hearted. I'm just kidding. I, w- I was in uh, St. Louis with uh, Devin Stinson. Oh, and me too. Yeah, I tried some some local yokel beers. Uh, that was pretty fun and exciting. Uh, D- again, didn't make it to the the AB InBev. Um, I did facility, uh, which is surprising because I've how many times I've been to St. Louis at this point? Three, three or four? Three, maybe four. Um, yeah, my truck got broken into and they didn't steal anything. Um, so yeah, I had a broken window <laughs> on my truck that I got fixed while I was in St. Louis, and um, yeah, it was very confusing. I know that feeling. Well, there was like. 
I like weed, like weed cartridges in there and, and nine millimeter ammo in my truck and they didn't take it. I'm like, what were you looking for? Backstreet Boy CDs. Like, <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's all I ever look for. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to break into someplace, I'm going like, to take their CDs. Well, anybody like, knows, with anybody cultured knows InSync is better. It's like a $30 box of nine millimeter ammo. Know. I don't know. I've always been more of a 98 degrees fan. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, what about you, man? Uh, yeah, so I actually uh, did make it to the AB and Bev uh, thing uh, facility. I, I I'm going to call it a thing because, man, I have never been lied to more on a beer tour. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, it was fantastic. <laughs> so uh, I did. I did learn something um, that I never knew about Budweiser. Um, is they brew it as a 10% base beer. Yep, I knew that. Um, and then water it down. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Unless you talk to the tour guide, and, and then they have a they have a scientific instrument that they run through the beer that pulls out the perfect amount of alcohol. Nope. In order to bring it down to either Budweiser or Bud Light. It's not a thing. That was the first lie I was told. <laughs> <laughs> so, for j- just in in terms of trying to defend the actual uh, tour guide. How much did they have a drink before that? Oh, why? I have no idea. Okay, fair enough. But if it, uh, it, there's not enough Bud Light in the world to make that statement okay. That's really funny. I mean, I I, you, you need to meet my family. They might disagree. <laughs> with that uh, uh, yeah, no. So like, so he was he was telling people that I'm like, I'm pretty sure they just water it down. Well, like in my head, that's what I'm, I'm like. That, like that doesn't Dude, seem right. That is how I was kicked off of the tour at Pyramid Brewing <laughs> in uh, Berkeley, or well, Oakland, California. Yeah, they were like telling a bunch of lies, and I was like, actually. And then the woman turned to me and very quietly said, "Sir, I'm going to ask you to go back to the beer garden because I don't need this right now." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." So I ended up going back to the beer garden and sitting there and drinking while everyone else was on the tour. Yeah, it was it was a fun tour, uh, but it was a fantasy tour. Um, <laughs> it's uh, and then uh, so we did the we did the their cheapest tour is it's called like the day old Bud tour because at the end you get a you get a Budweiser that was pulled off the line that morning, right? Well, they just had uh, just twelve packs of Bud Light that they were just handing out or handing out cans of uh, as you were finishing, wow. and they're like, "We pulled this off the like this is right straight off the tank." I'm like, "No, that's straight out of the warehouse." Uh, <laughs> I mean, for the record, it did come out of the tank it, at some point, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, they, they, they're they're touting it as like a commemorative can, and it's oh. just a it's just a can of Bud Light. Like, it's the nostalgia that comes with it, Casey. Like the, the tour guide wrote like an X and Sharpie on it. And the, no, no, yeah. not even. No, no, we watched him rip open the twelve packs and oh. just start. <laughs> not even a what's your name, son? I'm gonna write it on the can. Here you wow. go. It was I mean, it, it was delightful. Um, there was a there was a couple of girls from Minnesota who were so happy about uh, the MGD. They were just like, you guys have McGolden here? And they flipped their lids. It was delightful. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It was was worth the 15 bucks. Go do it. Uh, You get get a pour at the end. Um, They had, uh, what is it, the the Elysium uh, IPA. Space Dust. Space Dust. I had two bottles of that yesterday. Yep. They had that. Um, we were we were gonna go meet Devin after, um, and we had to drive, so we had Bud Lights that we finished about half of. Mm. Fair enough. That, that's more than enough Bud Light. How, how was the Devster? 
Oh, Devster was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we went to uh, that um, that beer bar that he really likes. OSP Tap House. That's the one. That's some German they have German foods there. Yeah. And lots of good local beer. Very good local beer. Um, but yeah, that's kind of enough about that. Uh, what have you guys been up to, uh, beer-wise? Um, you know, a lot of brewing down there in Spring Valley. Um, and then a lot of playing around with more knowledge on different brewing systems that I probably don't need to know about, but I have no life. So this is kind of what I do is just reading about stuff that I probably have no right knowing, have no use of knowing, but rabbit holes are fun. Um, definitely as any, uh, good fan of Alice in Wonderland would know. Uh, find a good rabbit hole and just go straight down it, and you never know where you're going to end up. Oh, absolutely. So, I haven't done shit uh, between work. That's totally yeah, fine. I know. Yeah, <clears throat> between work and then most of this week, I was dealing with just a head crud thing, and yeah, this is my first beer in like two weeks. Wow. Is this the one? It was all bourbon last weekend. The, oh, okay. oh, yeah. I was, <laughs> <laughs> say so. You've been sober for two weeks. I don't believe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in sales. No. All right. Uh, well, let's 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 dive into the actual homebrew uh, part of this homebrew show, um, and we are going to try the Every Style Challenge uh, rebrew of the uh, Belgian Double, which is that's uh, what this is. Twenty six B Trappist Ale. I've only been looking at it. I haven't tasted it yet. Um, very so let me go that. ahead and bring up the BJCP. Di- Actually, this, Brian, will you bring up the BJCP right? guidelines real quick? Oh, yeah. And I will bring up the recipe. Should have had oh, this model. And I should have, yeah, I know. It's a whole Go ahead. I poured you one, didn't I? Poured? No, you poured Jason one in that one. I thought it was amber. I'm like, oh, I have the amber here. And Oh, okay. Sorry, Gordon. All right. So this is the ESC double... Um, did not turn out the first time, but here is what we have uh, this time. Uh, it came in at 6.3%. Let me find my recipe here. Mm. It's I, a I, baby double. Okay. It is. We Yeah, it's... Uh, How much did it come in at? Uh, six and a half. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this style should run six... Six it, seems low, but it should run six to seven and a half Yeah, so we, we uh, did come in under... Under uh, six. Uh, well, so I was shooting for seven and a half. Came in under under my points, but okay. um, so from so we, yeah from an from an appearance standpoint, this is very much a double. But from a from a gravity standpoint, we're we're looking at it's, it's on the low end. On the low end. Um, yeah. yeah. So we want like a very complex, very rich, multi sweet beer uh, going on here. We could have hints of chocolate. Probably want it more towards like the caramel or like toast. No roast. No burnt uh, aroma, uh, fruity esters, obviously raisin plum. So your dark fruits, dried cherry stuff like that. Um, and we're gonna. This should be rich with um, uh, esters, uh, banana, apple. Yep. A little bit of apple is okay. Not towards really the green. Uh, spicy phenolics, and by phenolics, we're talking about the clove. Uh, light, spicy, peppery. Um, rose-like and perfumey are two words I think that should be in this lexicon as well. Um, I'm, I'm always a bigger fan of floral. Um, okay. ro- rose-like, yeah. I, the perfumey on that one, I think always people think a little bit too abrasive. I think I, I rose-like like is probably... I mean, how, how often do you smell a rose? Like, 
Uh, you you've met my wife, right? Oh, we, we 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 go and we harvest rose hips. Well, there so, you go. which make a good. So name. yeah, so there there were some there were some interesting fermentation um, issues with this. Uh, mostly, I couldn't get it warm enough because okay. it was very cold. And yeah. yep, yeah. So it fermented way colder than I wanted it to. Yeah. So this is on the clovey side. Um, is rich. Um, yeah. Another good thing to note. This is six to seven and a half percent, so we should never have alcohol or solvent mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Um, um, do you guys want a recipe? Absolutely. Yeah, let's absolutely. go. All right, uh, eighty-five and a half percent Chateau Pale Ale uh, from Castle Malting. Uh, Four point nine, or basically five percent of Special B, um, and about ten percent of the like the the amber candy sugar. Okay. Dude, that is keep it simple, stupid, right mm-hmm. there, and you, uh, and then Styrian Goldings uh, at sixty minutes for twenty three IBUs. Okay, cool, perfect. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, any sort of darker Belgian style beer, you shouldn't be getting this from grain. You need to get that color either from your boil regiment and obviously from sugar regiment because that's part of the style. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a nice way to get those rum raisin type flavors yeah. into this beer. Oh, uh, and then I use the Y yeast uh, Belgian Abbey style. Okay, cool. Uh, which I, I wanted to ferment high. Um, let me look at my. Uh, so the nice thing about using this uh, this darn Brewfather app <laughs> with uh, the things is I have a a record of all my mistakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so if I look at the chart here, if it'll pull up. Um, yeah, my average temp, like, during this was, like, in the, in the low 70s, uh, and, like, mid-60s. Okay. And I wanted to be, a, I, so I was shooting for, like, 74, 75. Yep. And it just, it, I had an issue keeping it up there, because yeah. it was so cold here. Okay. Yeah. Which, and what did it finish at? Uh, oh, um, oh nine. So pretty good. I, I'm, I'm getting that cause it's dry, but likely not. Well, what was, I'm sorry. Uh, give me an OG on it. Oh, uh, yep. Let me. Cause it's dry, but likely not as dry. As dry as you'd want. But oh nine's oh. pretty good. Uh, 10, 1063. Man, that's actually probably right. Right on the nose, honestly. I'd like it to be a little bit more stretched, you know, like that like little, 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 little cider, little cidery. Kind of what I meant by yeah. apple, because like those simple candy sugars mm-hmm. are yeast attack quickly, mm-hmm. get those babies going, and then some, you know, and that's where you'll get kind of like your heavier body on some of these because they'll poop out and they won't. Even if they are chains that are long enough where they might, <laughs> where they might want to eat them, they'll they'll skip them because they've just been eating all these tiny little. Chains, and that's where you get that what Casey's talking about that stretched body quality because it's just like whoa, it's eating these small, tiny little sugar chains. <laughs> um, but yeah, as far as like a you know, like you were saying, your heat issues, like what's the byproduct of having a lower ferment on a POF positive phenolic? I'm sorry, I should just say it out loud phenolic off flavor positive yeast strain like this. Like, what's the, what's the benefit of keeping it low? What's the be- benefit of letting it rise? Yeah, so the benefit of keeping it low is uh, if you're not looking for a lot of those 
flavors, like those uh, mm. those those yeasty flavors, uh, they're going to be a lot more subdued. They're going to be a lot lower. But in a beer like this, where you want a lot of those, you want it to be high and fast and vigorous, and so you want a lot of that. And yep. so be, not being able to do that, like it's like I missed a part of my recipe. Like I didn't yep. have that ingredient that I really wanted. This yep. is more clovey. I am getting a little bit of apple stretch, but not the the fruity esters are just a little bit missing there, and that's yep. that's because of the fermentation temperature. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. So, um, Dude, still, I have a, I have, I have a, a question. I have a though. question for you guys yeah. because this is the every style challenge beer. Did I hit style, or do I have to brew this again? I would say brew it again. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say. Uh, that. I, I mean, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. It's not a process thing. It's just a time of a time of year thing. Yep, like one hundred percent. Well, if and, you were to brew this in the same beer, same process wise, when we're gonna have ambient temperature around here, that's not gonna be sub. Well, and so like that's the thing. Like around here, I have spent so much time trying to figure out how to keep my beer cold. That, like, now I need to keep it warm? This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's... Invest in a nice little heated blanket. Oh, actually, um, one of the things that I've actually really found that I love for uh, glass carboys, especially on the homebrew setup, is uh, hit yourself up um, at one of the pet stores and get a reptile heating pad oh. and set that under your fermenter. Okay. Um, slap your temperature uh, reader right on your glass carboy and that way when you start wanting to actually raise your temperature and you want to have it controlled you can yeah. do it in a, in a more controlled environment that way um okay. give it a shot see how it goes those I, things can get a little on the warm side so, so i had nice. so i i had i had a brew belt on this uh, attached to my uh my homemade um like whole online uh, yeah. thing uh but turns out that the heat uh the heat one uh, was wasn't connected. Um. <laughs> oh, well, you know, Jason brought up the the heating pad. What what I was gonna say is that you know when I lived with with Tony in Oak Park Heights, there was um, a big trash barrel, one of those big barrels with the handles, and there was um, there were two. And this is the direction I thought you were gonna go. Like I submerged the car, the carboy. This is probably too much trouble. But I was kind of working on the opposite of a swamp cooler. It was a swamp heater. And so I used, like, these aquarium heaters in this trash barrel connected to, you know, like an old dial Johnson controller that in, in this carboy was submerged in the trash barrel full of water. So, like, that's a thing you can do. That, that, that's a thing, too. But, I mean, <laughs> the nice thing with these Belgian styles is is you're wanting to raise this temperature rapidly during prime fermentation. So by having a heat source underneath... Uh, you can utilize the convection that ends up happening just with the normal yeast fermentation mm -hmm. to be able to strip, like bring that heat throughout the okay. entire fermenter. Yeah, I'm just so I'm just curious with the so can you just use a you know the reptile heating pad right out of the box or do you recommend? Because I know you can go to the pet shop down the road and they're going to have just out of the box, but there's no temp control on it where I've seen yeah. the more expensive ones. They come with a, you know, some come with an actual temperature gauge. Others come with the, you know, high, medium, low. So, I mean, as long as you have something that you can read your temperature off the fermenter, you can gauge it. And it's just a off on at that point. Sure. Well, and the nice thing with these Belgian styles, I mean, you kind of can ferment all the way up to like 85 degrees if you really want to. It's going to be a banana bomb, but yeah. Yeah, and I mean... Which is fine the, if that's what you want. Well, these these 
these heating pads though are meant for reptiles. Like we're not gonna boil a reptile. That's they're not designed to go that Man, hot. I, Gordon, Gordon I, might. I, yeah, I've had well, not to eat. It's called a gumbo. <laughs> I, I have a reptile and I've had issues with some of the cheaper models. Yeah, I was gonna fair. say also like um, Gordon. I, if I know you, I know that you. Like, Gordon has snacks. Yeah, that's so right. don't don't take it away from the snack. Singular. That's fair. No, I mean, no, I I have a don't do heat it. lamp for her. So don't tr- put treat your beer the same way you will your with your snack. reptiles. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. No, is is that that's solid? So far, advice? far away from me. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, man. I feel anyway, bad. well, all right, cool. I got another beer to rebrew. That's exciting. Um, I'm, I'm excited. You're, for, you're not excited. far off, dude. I I know. No, I know. And it's been. Uh, a lot of these, we'll talk off air about yeah. the 80 style challenge if you don't know about it already. Uh, do you? Are you privy to any of this? I don't know. Oh my god! Yeah, we'll talk about that later. As it's a listener, insane. it's delightful. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so let's get into our main discussion topic, which is hydrometer, refractometer. What's the difference? Why do we want either one? Which one is better? Uh, is it is it dependent on what you're doing? Like this is why I'm glad we have uh, Mr. Jason Paul here today because he gave off mic a very succinct. And I'm. Why don't you just go with it? Run with it. Why? What? Where are you at? Um, I mean, they they both have their importance. It, it depends on how much you actually want to spend, and if you want to be able to have both tools on hand. Refractometers are fantastic if you're just dealing with wart. They do not deal well if you're dealing with any sort of carbonation that is going to end up mildly in beer while it's fermenting, and they are going to give you an off reading if there's alcohol present in the actual liquid that you're giving a reading off of. They are fantastic for measuring your runnings and measuring your gravities during the boil. Uh, you need a very small amount so you can drop that temperature super, super quick to bring it down into range so that refractometer is going to be able to give you uh, an accurate reading. And you're not going to waste nearly as much wort, obviously, as what you're going to need to with a hydrometer. I mean, a couple of drops versus, what, 40 mils typically to fill up an actual vial so you can take that reading. Right. And every drop's, you know, precious regardless of whether you're at a homebrew level or a professional level. But. Exactly. Uh, it depends, though, on how anal retentive you want to be on trying to make a consistent product. If you want to mm. be super consistent amongst everything you're doing... Get a refractometer on top of everything else so you can make sure your gravities are on point throughout the entirety of your actual brew day process. Uh, It's also going to make sure that you can check more of your runnings coming through so you're not ending up extracting uh, tannins when you're getting to the uh, final runnings of uh, your lauder period. Um, In the grand scheme of things, get a good hydrometer that you trust in that preferably has a temperature uh, correction built into it and I'd recommend going Play-Doh. They're more accurate. Alright. I mean, that's... <laughs> Yeah. Well, episode's over. Well, like, absolutely. uh, no, uh, I can literally well, ramble for hours. No, no, yeah. So, um, I guess let's, 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 like, I mean, that is a fantastic overview. Thank you so much. You're welcome. For that. I, th- um, I think the next question, well, though, so, is, well, first, let's, 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 let's start basic. Sure. What, what are we measuring with these two tools? Mash efficiency, uh, gauge whether you're hitting the target you set for your recipe. Let, let's um, go super simple here, Brian. Yeah. You're, you're measuring sugar and water. Yeah. Yeah. The density of. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's all. Yeah, that's all. It, you're mm-hmm. getting. You're right. getting. You're getting a baseline, so you can measure one at the beginning against one at the end. So you can throw it into a calculator to get a quasi alcohol reading that is going to be about ninety percent accurate. Right. So at base, calculate the alcohol content of the beer. So, so yeah. So we're looking at sugar sorry, at start versus sugar at end. 
I'm sorry, it took us that long to get to the explanation of what the... Oh, no, no, that's that's fine. It's all about that sugar, babe. I mean, you all know, the and sugar. then... And so every, every homebrew kit comes with a basic glass hydrometer. Like, mm. that's... I mean... So and you should immediately buy a second one, because you're going to break the fuck out of you should, they, they come. <laughs> you can buy them in five packs? Do that. <laughs> um, I, I honestly would recommend um, taking that one, using it the first time to make sure that you actually enjoy homebrewing, and then buying more accurate ones, because yeah. that typically has a reading somewhere between... Uh, 990 to uh, what 1150 is the typical hydrometer. I think so. So, I mean, how accurate are you going to be trying to read a two step gravity that is a basis of about a millimeter apart? My, I, I'm 33 years old, my eyesight's not that good, guys. Well, and mm. who's making a beer that's 1150? Gordon. <laughs> God damn it, you guys. Put your hands down. <laughs> you weren't supposed to raise your hands. You're supposed to scoff and be like, huh, huh, huh. I'm not making beer. I'm making mead. <laughs> Touche, Jason Paul and Gorgon. Um, Moving on. So uh, so the way hydrometers work is they they use um, like weight uh, or I guess liquid displacement. Yes. Right. So they take a known weight that displaces liquid and vesicle using how much wick is, uh, liquid is displaced. We can determine the specific gravity or Play-Doh or basically how much sugar is in that um, in that liquid. Yeah. Uh, because, I mean, Archimedes figured it out when he was naked in a tub. It was very exciting. Um, I mean, isn't that when everyone figures everything out? Figured out a lot of stuff naked in a tub. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, <laughs> I love doing so, cocaine with you, Archimedes. Like, so, some, some pros of, like, your, your basic, uh, like, glass hydrometer. And you, you can get more, uh, like, more in-depth on these. You can find ones that are temperature correcting. You can find ones that are more specific. But for, for the most part, like... Besides temperature uh, temperature correction for your most one, there, there's really not a, a really need to calibrate your hydrometer. It no. comes from it comes from the factory calibrated. Yeah, pre-calibrated. Just make sure you're looking at the instructions based on the hydrometer you're getting. The majority of them are calibrated at 60 degrees Celsius. Some of them are calibrated at 68 degrees for whatever reason because we can't standardize anything. Um, <laughs> nope. The other big thing with that is. Um, this might be getting into a little bit further into the discussion. Isn't it 60F, not Celsius? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I was like, that is very warm. Well, no. he said it was. <laughs> well, he I, was. I was doing the math in my head, but okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> math is for losers. Um, <laughs> no, but the main point that I was trying to uh, get into is um, a lot of people crutch the temperature correction calculators that are online for these. And it's going to be a drive home for wanting to have a refractometer for hot side because these temperature correction calculators, they are a great tool. But once you get above like 85 degrees Fahrenheit, corrected myself, uh, they're not accurate. No, they're not uh, at all. Um, I found... Well, and so I, I found, because uh, I, I use a lot of the tools online, like doing mm -hmm. temp correction, once it hits about like 110, 120, I can get a mostly okay reading. Yeah. Um, and it's it's good enough to move forward, and I might be a point or two either way at the end, mm -hmm. um, as long as nothing goes crazy, but it's not terrible. But yeah, once you get closer to that to that swing... It's it's a lot better. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's other nuances that you have to make sure you're taking into account when you're dealing with a hydrometer. It's, 
you have to make sure that you're off-gassing whatever sample you're taking out of fermenter also before you're running that hydrometer test. It does go based off of gravity. And yes, spinning a hydrometer is going to take those CO2 bubbles and push them off the side of it. And so in theory, you should be getting an accurate reading if you're taking it correctly. Whenever I take a reading, I'm a big proponent of just taking two vessels and throwing that liquid back and forth between them like 30 to 40 times to blow off as much yeah, CO2 knock, before. Knock it on out. Yeah, yep. that's, it, that's how I was taught. Yep. It, it's, it's a, I don't know, safety valve, safety mechanism. You can call it that. But I, I think that's just, it, if you're going to do one thing to make sure that you're going to get an accurate reading, and you can do another thing to make sure you get an accurate reading. If you do both, you are probably going to get a more accurate reading. Um, and like with the with the temp thing, uh, when it was minus twenty here, it was really easy to get your sample down to the right temp. <laughs> like you just go <laughs> shove it outside for a few minutes, and you're yeah. good. I mean, just get a copper pipe and then <laughs> run a bunch of cold water around it because you know copper is super cheap. It's super. Yeah. I just go steal it from the neighbor. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Borrow. We plan on bringing that back, good sir. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, some, some other pros on this. Uh, hydrometers are fairly easy to read. There's yeah. not, like, there's, yeah, it, like, it, it's, at the, it's at the meniscus. You can read it. Mm -hmm. um, and it can be used with solutions that contain alcohol, which is very important. Um, some cons here. Glass hydrometer is very fragile. Um, raise your hand in this room if you have broken at least one. Oh, my God. More than. I'm a very delicate flower. I don't break <laughs> Okay, things. never mind. Brian, you and I are cavemen, and we destroy hydrometers. <laughs> uh, I've, I've only used one once. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, uh, you, need a, you, you need something else in order to hold the wart, in order to take your measurement in. Yep. Um, some I've kind of graduate broken cylinder. those. I've broken a lot of those. But not the hydrometer. No. That thing just rolls off things. It is my best friend, dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they, like you need a larger amount of wart, like um, Brian said, and then uh, it also takes time to cool, which we've covered. So refractometers, uh, they measure the degree to which light changes direction, called the angle of refraction. A refractometer takes the refraction angles and correlates them to a refractive index uh, values, or to refractive index values that have been established. Using these values, you can determine the concentration of solutions, and specifically we're looking for sugar. Gordon, yes. Idiot, idiot question. Uh, the refract, refractometer, excuse me. That's what we use when we did Big Oaf. The, it looked like the little yep. telescope yes. thing. And so, okay, that's, yep, that's that what is I thought. I just it use, make it sure uses I'm, light, bends it, yeah. and then it attaches it to a scale. Um, there's two different ones. There's analog and there's digital. Um, I have a fun anecdote about analog, which made me stop using mine. Um, so Mike Fredrickson from Pitchfork Brewing, which you guys know from the last episode, um, he, uh, I was brewing a beer and he was there and he's like, why are you using that monstrosity? And I'm like, well, cause like, I just have to use a little bit of wart and he's great. Yeah. But you have to like recalibrate it every time you set it down. I'm like, no, you don't like I calibrate it at the beginning of the brew day and I'm fine. Turns out, no, he was right. And it has a massive swing and you have to recalibrate that stupid thing every time you use it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, one, one of the biggest benefits of utilizing in a refractometer is specifically, in my opinion, during your lauder period. So you can, I mean, it's depending on if you're going to fly sparge or not on the homebrew setup. 
which, I mean, let's be honest, the majority of us are now. Um, it allows you to take consistent gravities throughout every 15 minutes of your lauder period, and it will give you a good idea of how your runoff is going. If you have a drastic decrease from one reading to the other in gravity, you know that you're more than likely channeling through your grain bed, so your efficiency is going to be absolute crap. So it gives you an idea of if you need to correct things early on in your brew phase. That That's, in my opinion, where a, an analog uh, refractometer can have a huge benefit. Yeah. Um, well, and so uh, Tyler in the chat here brings up something interesting, which uh, I, I kind of wanted to touch on, too. The analog hydrometers uh, can be uh, – well, so he says, I have a pretty basic refractometer. Um, it works fine, but I find it hard to see the measurement lines at times. Uh, the precision on it could be a bit better. I think it's uh, like .002. Um, and I, I, I'll agree with that. Like, especially like you have that, you have that blue and like, there's always yep. like a weird gradient and it's hard to see where the right, where the hard line is. Well, it's the same concept. I mean, you're looking at tiny little spaces between lines. I mean, you can get a good idea of what you're actually trying to read off, but it's, it's still hard to try to see, especially the older we get. Let's be honest. We're, we're getting old guys. Yeah. Eyesight's kind of a pain. Um, <laughs> That's what they make lasers for. We're just going to shoot those in yeah, the eyes. Yeah, just shoot it in the eyes. Uh, but no, if you're having a really hard time reading it, um, if you have the ability to, just set up a strong LED light, whether it be like a spotlight or what may have you, and turn it on and just stare at it. Uh, stare at the sun. Yeah, basically, yeah, just stare at the sun. It's going to be really good for your eyes, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the U.S. president can do it. You know, you can too. Exactly. Uh, or former U.S. president, sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, you, you really need a strong light to be looking into to actually get a decent reading yeah. through those ones. And it's like ambient light's just not enough. No, or, you know, winter sun. Not enough. Too. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, like, I mean... Pros for the analog, durable, um, small amount of uh, liquid is needed, cools quickly, they're cheap. I think they're 20 bucks on Amazon, something like that. Um, needs to be calibrated basically every time you use it uh, is kind of a con. Uh, you cannot use them with carbonation or alcohol. Yep. Completely, like, you just can't. Yeah. Um, and then they can be hard to read accurately unless you have a very strong light. Yes. Um, but digital refractometers have uh, some, I mean, well, one, they're extremely easy to read accurately. Yes. Because it gives you a number. Yeah, nice little panel that gives you the number, read out. Yep. I mean, bricks. they're uh, they're pretty expensive at like, you know, two to three hundred dollars for one off Amazon. This, this is why I don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and again, you can't use it with alcohol. Exactly. So, I mean, they literally are just a, in my opinion, it's a, it's a hot side tool. Hot side tool. And if you want to have consistency between batches and you're very anal retentive about that, 100% invest in it if you have the extra money sitting around. Otherwise, stick to hydrometers, baby. Yeah, yeah. If, if you can only afford one tool, mm -hmm. it's a hydrometer because mm -hmm. it gets you beginning to end. It's there. Get a, get a nicer one. Yes. Um, but buy five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> buy one. It makes you a more careful person. I, uh, I, I feel like we're, there's a lot of shade being thrown, I'm Brian. Very <laughs> careful. <laughs> I am too, until I'm not. <laughs> 
because beer comes out cold side. I mean, um, I mean Brian, you, you pointed this out earlier today that you like to talk with your hands. You're very expressive. Oh my god, I knocked a fucking beer all over the place. <laughs> he and I, we had a little like uh, Sunday work meeting. The amount of time I've caught beers at the table that Brian oh has not quite. <laughs> well, this one I can't spill because it's empty. You can still break the glass, dude. Jason. Carpet. Carpet. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen how many glasses we broke when it was concrete. <laughs> oh, no. We had a... It's, it's, do you see the Brian? That was 21, 2021, but my spill count. Oh, fun. It's time yeah, to Lando so, that year. So yeah, you, oh. you you know there is a. That's a good point. We're doing pretty good so yeah. far. This yeah, is it's, it's 2021 was a good year for Brian. Yeah, it was. It was. 2019, uh, 2020, not oh, so much. Not so much. I think that was a bad year for everyone. Dude. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a real bad year <laughs> for the school count. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the chat wants to know uh, what you guys think. Is it worth spending um, more on a refractometer, or are the budget ones just as good? If you're going to spend the money on that tool, probably spend more. Okay. Um, but again, it, it depends on how much you actually want to spend on a tool, again, in my eyes, that is literally good for just hot side. And again, it, it comes down to how, how precise do you want to be with being able to recreate the same exact beer, flavor profile, everything from batch to batch to batch. Let's be honest, as homebrewers, at least... When I homebrew, it's not trying to do the same beer over and over again. It's a, I get a wild hair up my rear end, and I... I want this beer. Yeah, like I want a sati, because I can't find that Nobody here. Nobody wants a sati. Everyone wants a sati. Why? <laughs> oh, you need to listen to that episode. Because um, <laughs> I brewed one with local sticks. Um, local oh. sticks? Yeah. Wow. You need sticks to brew a sati. Yeah. They're, they're, they're called I think bells. I remember this. They're sticks. <laughs> um, the other, uh, uh, let's see, Andy also brought up the uh, tilt hydrometer. I don't know if you guys have any experience with that. I have never used one. Um, no, you do, though. I, yeah, I, I really enjoy them for monitoring fermentation, but you're not going to get an accurate read until after high croissant. Um And if they don't get stuck on anything in the fermenter. Which is difficult with a lot of ales. Yes, um, because the way they work is they don't actually use displacement. They use the angle of the device. Oh, hence the name, tilt. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's and that's what determines um, like what what the gravity is, right? And so if you have a lot of activity in the fermenter, it's going to change that angle. Yep. But it is really nice where you can you can watch it and you can get a pretty good idea. Like once it's calibrated, it's pretty accurate as long as there's nothing vigorous happening. Okay. Um, and so you can you can watch the graph and be like, okay, so fermentation's done. It's been at this level for a so, while. I mean, obviously, I have not used one, so mm -hmm. I have no knowledge in this in the slightest. But the way you're describing the tool, it sounds like it would work a heck of a lot better in something with a lager yeast than it would with an ale yeast. Absolutely. So I mean, if you want to primarily brew lagers, it sounds like a great yep. tool. Yeah, and, ah, and, yeah. And, and and honestly, it works really well with ales too. Um, like at least towards the end of fermentation, Fair. just to kind of see like when you when you finish without, especially at the homebrew level, like every time you take a hydrometer reading, you're losing a significant amount of beer. Um, and so if you're if you're if all you're worried about is when you're hitting like the end of your fermentation, um, though I also use it lockers. Uh, 
to monitor when I should do my diastole rest. You should be doing that in an ale too. Diastole rest? Yeah. Really? Yeah. In everything, dude. Oh. But I'm already... One, after it hits terminal, then... Didn't crank it? No, even even then, a majority of uh, ester production is going to happen in that um, in the first that, that leg reproduction period. So if you wait until about if if you're able to take consistent gravities throughout the entire fermentation phase, once you hit about fifty to sixty percent of the way through your attenuation, you can actually start your diacetyl rust on whatever you're brewing. Oh, interesting! And it'll uh, make your cleanup time a lot faster. So a lot of the ales done in Spring Valley, I'm actually able to finish a diacetyl rest in about six days from start of fermentation. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So, but again, I have the luxury of a volume where I can take gravities daily and know yeah. when I can ramp up temperature and when I'm going to be past that. Past that safe zone. Yeah, past that safe zone. So, but no, you... 100% can do a raised diacetyl test well, on now I gotta stuff. start playing with that yep uh, well first I have to figure out how to raise temperature um, but you know we're gonna get some mats we're gonna figure that out so body, body heat Casey I'm just gonna go hug it body heat <laughs> Lando you now have to lay around this fermenter like that is your job dog you can train him to do that <laughs> Lando cuddle <laughs> cuddle I mean if I could train him to do that like I, yeah it'd be great um <laughs> But no, he's like, no, I just want to play with the ball. I don't give a shit about you. Just hold the ball, dude. He wants me to throw it. Oh, uh, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. He he only likes the ball in motion. Uh, okay. But let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he only likes the ball in motion. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, if you have any questions, comments, show ideas, or what have you, go ahead and shoot us an email at feedback at blindersseries.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Blinders Ninja. And I'll see you guys next week. Peace. Oh.